we pray. Amen. Gladys Allward was a British missionary that was born in 1902. She was saved as a teenager and began to feel God calling her to missionary work in China. The problem was that when she applied at the age of 26, the missionary society to China rejected her. They, think, they, thought that she didn't, they thought that she wouldn't be able to learn the language and she wouldn't be able to cut it. So Gladys spent the next four years working and saving her money, spending virtually nothing on herself so that she could buy a ticket to China. She couldn't afford to travel by ship, so instead she would go by train through Russia and Siberia. She learned of an old missionary lady that was looking for a helper. The plan was for the two of them to fix up an old building and open a little hotel for muleteers. Their hotel would offer two things that the other hotels did not. They would offer beds without fleas and dinner with stories about the Bible. Now, when Gladys first arrived, she did not know the language, so she was put in charge of taking care of the mules. And one of her jobs was to go out on the street and physically take the head of a mule by the mane and lead him to her hotel, knowing that all the other mules would follow and the mule owner would then be forced to stay in her hotel. The method was very effective. However, they became popular on their own and soon that method wasn't needed. What motivates a woman to spend four years of her life working and saving to buy a train ticket, to spend 30 days on a train that takes her to the other side of the world so that she can take care of mules so that people will be able to hear the gospel. Little side note, Gladys did learn the language and she would famously go on to lead 11 little orphans, children, babies. She would lead them for 12 days across the mountains of China. They were in a war zone, she took them to safety. Darlene Dibler Rose, she was a newlywed and a missionary with her husband to the East Indies in World War II. That was until the Japanese invaded. And, she took, and they took both of them and put them into separate prison camps. She was placed in what became known as the Heinz Barrack because of the variety of nationalities that were present in her barracks. She was fluent in several languages. So she became known as the one that rose and took over some leadership. She helped them organize and get their work schedules and, and, and take care of the duties that were being required of them as prisoners. But every night she would lead her barracks in prayer and teach them God's word. In her barracks, there was community and compassion. She shared Christ with her captors. She was known for having a reputation of helping the women. Now, what motivates a woman to pursue godliness in the midst of hardship and suffering? Martin and Gracia Burnham were missionaries in the Philippines. In 2001, while they were celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary, they were abducted by a militant Islamic group. They were held captive 
for a year, and during that time, they would encourage one another by recounting God's promises and going over scripture. On the day of their rescue, Martin was shot during the firefight and killed. Gracia would go on to return to the United States. She would raise three godly children. She would travel the country speaking of her experiences and praising God and sharing the gospel. What motivates a woman to pursue godliness when God does not make sense? Or when you feel like he is far away? Or when you are surrounded by enemies and opposition? What motivates a person, perhaps on the opposite side of that, what motivates a woman to be godly during the ordinary times? During the times of wiping running noses and changing dirty diapers? What motivates a person to be holy? Last week, we had a basic lesson on the topic of holiness. In the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about what holiness looks like and how that's going to play out in our everyday lives. That's in the future. This morning, we want to talk about the motivations for holiness. Why should we pursue holiness? Why do we need to be holy? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me again to 1 Peter we're going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. The book of Peter is going to help us answer that question. I'm going to be reading this passage from the NAS version today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. If you read your homework, the author suggested seven motivations for holiness. That is not an exhaustive list, but she suggested seven. We're going to find several of them from this passage. So this is where we're going to park today. Now, if you, as you know, if you are studying a passage, it is important that we understand the context. We want to look at what, what was the purpose of this letter? Why did the author write it? Well, we're going to get some ideas here. Look back at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Okay, Peter is writing to the chosen, and he calls them aliens scattered. Now, they're scattered because there has been persecution. Okay, internal External evidence tells us that Christians all throughout the Roman Empire at this time were suffering intense persecution. This letter was originally written to them. Now, as you might imagine under the circumstances, his primary reason for writing to them is to encourage them. 
Right now, there are believers in the Middle East that are suffering persecution and are being scattered because of ISIS. What if you could get them a message? What if you could send them a letter or communicate with them? What, what would you say? What kind of letter would it be? I'm assuming you would want to encourage them. You would want to comfort them. You would want to bring them hope with your communication. Okay, that is the tone of First Peter. That's his purpose for writing. Now notice how he does that. Notice what his emphasis is on. Look at verse 15. God is the holy one. Verse 16, God is holy. When you're dealing with hardships, when you're suffering, when you're going through various trials, what is your hope? Your hope is that God is holy. That brings us to our very first motivation for holiness. Why should we be holy? Number one, because God is holy. God is holy. The author points out that this motivation is stated more frequently and more explicitly in Scripture than any other reason. All right, this is a good place, by the way, for some review. We want to make sure that we understand what it means to be holy. Keep your finger here because we're coming back to 1 Peter. But turn with me to Exodus 15. Exodus 15, verse 11. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? <clears throat> we learned last week that there are two strands to the, word of ho to the word holy. Let's give you the first one. And this is A on your paper. To be holy is to be distinct, separate, unique. All right, this is review. We talked about this last week when we talked about the root meaning of the word. The basic meaning of that root word was to cut away or to separate. R.C. Sproul suggests it this way. He says that the word conveys the same idea we express when we find a garment or we find a piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that is of superior excellence, and we say that it's a cut above the rest. Or we might say that um, it's in a category of its own, right? That's the basic idea that's going on here with that word holy. Now, when we are applying it to God's holiness, we mean that he is utterly unique. We mean that he is matchless, that he is incomparable, that he is without peer. All right, and we're not just talking about one characteristic of God, we're talking about his entire being, his entire character. Now, the question in Exodus that asks, who is like you? This thought is repeated throughout scripture. And what's the answer? None. Nothing is like you. You are transcendently separate. He is not subject to anyone. He does not answer to anyone. He is holy. I shared with you last week about one of the things that I have been doing to prepare for this course is to go through all the places where we see the word holy in scripture. And I've been trying to pray them and meditate on them. And one particular morning, I had a list of verses that were all about God being holy. 
God being holy. And at the same time, I was working on this definition for holiness. And so that particular morning, the two things came together. And I thought, wow, what an awesome thought to have as we pray. When you're stressed, when you're worried, when you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulder. Hey, Heidi, I am not like you. I am matchless. I am unparalleled. I am without equal. I am without peer. I am not man. I am not limited to the puny little ideas that you can think of in your mind. I'm not limited to the laws of nature. I'm not limited to the laws of finance. I'm not limited to the democratic process. Is it any wonder when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, hagiazo, holy be your name. Our next strand, that's the first strand. The next strand is the next point on your paper. It is B, to be holy is to be absolutely pure. Okay, holiness is being set apart from anything impure in order to be completely given over to what God says is pure. All right, the author put it this way. In our everyday life and conduct, we are to reflect what God is like and what it means to belong to him and to be his redeemed, set-apart people. Our lives are to make God believable to our world. People are supposed to be able to look at us and understand what God is like, and he is holy, and he is pure, and so we are to be holy. Our next motivation, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This will be a trip down memory lane for those of you that were here when we studied Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, right? That's a purpose clause. We're about to find out why. He says that we should be holy and blameless before him. The purpose God saved you in the first place was that you would be holy holy and blameless. Our next motivation, number two, why should we be holy? Because God's holiness is the stated goal for every believer. Holiness is your created purpose. The very reason God set you apart was that you might be holy and blameless. Now, Good time to review the two parts of holiness. This is review from last week as well, and I have them on your paper. A, there is positional holiness. That's the holiness that is done to you by God. Then there's B, practical holiness. That's the holiness that you do. Now, turn with me back to 1 Peter. Back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We're going to see these two ideas come together. 
1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a holy race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First of all, let, let's also, this is also a good place to mention that holy, holiness is not the stated, is not just the stated personal goal. It is also our collective goal, our corporate goal. All right, now, but notice what it says. It says, you are a chosen race, a holy nation. Okay, remember this from last week. God does the separating. God says, okay, you are going to be set apart. You're going to be separate. You're going to be my possession. And then, and then he tells us why he's doing that. He says that you may proclaim his excellencies. You've been set apart to proclaim his excellencies. Now, how do you do that? Well, we reflect him. We pursue holiness. Many years ago, I spent some time living in West Virginia. And when I was there, I had this little neighborhood Bible study. And there was a girl that started coming, and we got to know her and became friends. And she made it very clear from the beginning that she was only there to learn some Bible knowledge. She really had no intention of having any, making any changes in her life. She went on to explain she had put her children in the local Christian private school. She wanted to have well-behaved children that were going to heaven, so she wanted to be able to answer their questions. Well, my uh, girlfriend and I that were uh, co-teaching, we, we would pray for the girls that attended our Bible study every week, and so we began to pray for her salvation. And one day after class, I had a chance to meet with her and speak at length with her, and um, I began to share my concerns with her. And she, and she flagged me off. She said, no, I, I shouldn't be concerned about that. She took care of that. She had had a religious, an emotional experience as a teenager, and she prayed the prayer, so she was good. And then she said something like this. She said, I'm just not ready to be as radical as you. Okay. Ladies, we do not get to determine our level of participation. We do not determine the terms of Christianity. God's word has done that. God's word has said, you will be holy because I am holy. God's word says, I have set you apart that you might proclaim my excellencies. I have set you apart. Therefore, you will be radical. Holiness is God's supreme purpose for your life. Next motivation. Let's go to... Verse 18, 1 Peter, verse 18. Peter writes this, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, spotless, the blood of Christ. When I was in the seventh grade, I experienced my first youth week. <clears throat> that was a thing that my church did every March they had a week set aside where the youth did something every single night of the week. And um, I was in seventh grade, and it was the first chance that I had to go. And the Monday night, we went roller skating. Tuesday night was a pizza party. 
and we had our pizza, and then the pastor, uh, he had been a special speaker they had brought in. He had us sit on the floor, and he began to give his lesson. And that night, it was about the cross. And he talked about um, how Jesus was arrested, and all of his disciples left him. And then he talked about the various different trials that Jesus endured. And then he talked about the beatings that he had endured. And he talked about a Roman flogging. And he talked about um, the crucifixion and, and all the elements to it and what happened to a person's body that was going through it. And, and I had never heard anything like that. I had heard the expression, Jesus died for my sin on the cross, but I, I just had no idea what it had entailed. And I sat in the front row and just wept throughout the whole, throughout the whole lesson. I, I was overwhelmed with my unworthiness and my sin and was just grateful, grateful for the cross. And on that night, I believed upon Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. In the years ahead, as a new believer, every time that I would attempt to evangelize, I thought that I had to recreate that sermon. And so I was always trying to explain people all the details that that, that pastor had included in his sermon. Now, part of that was because I didn't know any different. And the other part was that's what drew me to Jesus. I was just so, so overwhelmed by what he did for me. And I would think, oh, if people just knew this, then they would repent from their sin and, and follow after Jesus. Years later, um, I thought that every one of my youth group buddies in that room was responding the same way to that message, and I was to find out years later that was not the case. But Peter, in this passage, he understands something. I want you to notice. I want you to notice who he's writing to. In verse 1, he says, the chosen. In verse 15, they're the called. In verse 18, the redeemed. Those are the people that Peter is writing to, and Peter knows that to those people, the cross means something. The cross means something. If you're redeemed, the cross means something to you. And so Peter is stirring up our affections by reminding us what our salvation has cost God. All right, look at verse 18. It says, We have been redeemed by blood from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. How completely inappropriate to be redeemed by blood and then return to a feudal way of life. Paul Paul said it this way. He said, you have been bought with the price, therefore glorify God with your bodies. In other words, he says, you have been bought with the price, therefore live a holy life. Therefore pursue holiness. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. Okay, you see, before salvation, I was ignorant. I didn't understand what it cost Jesus Christ to die on the cross, but I do now. And that thought should propel me to holiness. Our next point, our next motivation, why should we pursue holiness? Number three, because Jesus died to deliver us from sin. 
Our next motivation really piggybacks off this one. When I was first married, my grandma, I had nothing, and, and my grandma gave me her china. She gave me place settings for six, and then a bunch of the serving bowls and the fancy dishes that went with it. She gave the other half to my cousin. Well, shortly after my cousin got engaged, she showed up at my house with her half of the china, and she said to me, I, I want you to have this. And so I came into her half of the china, and now I had a setting of six pieces. No, now I had 12. I had 12 pieces, place settings of china, with all of the serving dishes and fancy pieces that went with it. Now, that china was already special to me, but now it was even more so. Because of the, uh, the m memories and the relationships that were associated with those plates, they were very special dishes. They were always kept in a separate cabinet. I never had them mixed in with the everyday stuff. I never used them for common things. If dishes could be holy unto Heidi, it would have been those dishes. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine for a minute that I am the type of person that talks to my dishes. I don't, but let's just imagine that I am. Let's say that I open the cabinet and I say to them, okay, listen here, plates, I've got some friends coming over. And um, they're, they're um, uh, uh, discouraged and feeling a little blue, and I want to encourage them. I want to make them feel special, so we're using the china today. We're going to use Grandma's china today, and this is what I need from you. I need you to be Grandma's china. Be china. Be the family heirloom. I need you to go out there and be the beautiful, delicate family heirloom that I have set you apart to be. Now, example is silly. But here's my point, if you're a believer, when God refers to you as saints, when God calls you to be holy, he is calling you to be something that he has already set you apart to be. Something that he has already equipped you to be. Last week, we learned that all true Christians are saints all true Christians have been set apart. They have been made new creation. So when God calls you a saint, when God calls you to be holy, he is essentially saying to you, be who you are. Be who you are. Jerry Bridges refers to holiness as the promised birthright of every Christian. Our next motivation for holiness, why should we be holy? Because we are saints. Turn with me now to chapter 2. We're still in 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to go back to the ESV with this one. 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, verse 11. Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. If you're using the NAS, it uses the term aliens and strangers. 
Okay, Peter is telling his readers, if you're feeling like you don't quite fit in, it's because you don't. If you're feeling when you go to the neighborhood picnic that you don't quite fit in, it's because you don't. If you're feeling like you don't quite fit in at the Christmas company Christmas party, it's because you don't. You weren't supposed to. We're just passing through. We are foreigners. We are aliens. Our author points out our destination is a holy city. A holy city. The author put it this way. She said, this world is just a dressing room, a staging area for eternity, for a holy eternity. Now, how are we to prepare for a holy eternity? Well, look at verse 11. It says, live as strangers, live as exiles, and abstain from the passions of the flesh. Verse 12 says, keep your conduct honorable. We prepare to live in a holy city by being holy now. I don't know if any of you watch the news or keep up with things that are going on in the world, but a daily dose of the news is, can be horrific at times. It's depressing. Now, how do we live in that? What are we supposed to do about that, aside from putting our head in the sands? How do you raise children in that? Well, Peter tells us. He says, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness with a suitcase mentality. We pursue holiness like people living out of a suitcase. Next motivation, number five on your paper. Why should we pursue holiness? Because we are going to live in an eternal city. Would you turn with me next to Hebrews chapter 12? We're going to leave um, 1 Peter for a while. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Some of your versions may use the word sanctification here. Remember we talked about that last week. They're, they're, they mean the same thing. Okay, the writer of Hebrews is telling his readers to strive or pursue, those words could be the same thing, to be at peace with everyone and to live a holy life. And here's why. Because without it, you can't, we can't see God. Okay, that means we can't pray. That means we can't hear his voice. That means we can't have fellowship or intimacy with God. I can remember a time when I was, I had a, I was practicing a sin in my life and a, in a particular area, but I was still trying to be faithful in the other areas. I was still going to church. I was still trying to read my Bible, but God was convicting me of it, but I, I, I was ignoring him. I didn't want to hear it. I thought, it's not hurting anyone. It's just, uh, it's just up here. It's not hurting anything. And um, after a while, I would go to read my Bible, and uh, it, it would not speak to my heart. I didn't hear God's voice. It was, it, was, it was words on a page. I couldn't even make sense of the words on a page. It had gotten so bad. And so you know what I did? Well, instead of repenting and stopping the behavior, I just thought to myself, I'll read easier stories. 
And so I would look up stories from my childhood that I knew. How stupid is that? How stiff-necked. You see what I was doing? I was trying to go through the motions of Christianity without holiness. And God says, without holiness, you will not see the Lord. We can't do it. Turn with me to Psalm 5. Psalm 5, chapter, Psalm chapter 5, verse 4. It says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Turn over to Psalm 15. Psalm 15, 1. And I'm using the NAS for this one. Psalm 15, 1 says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Okay, David is posing a question. He's asking, who can abide in your tent? He's asking, who can have fellowship with you? Who can know your intimacy? And then he goes to answer it in verse 2. Notice what he says. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. You see, those are the kinds of things that a person leading a holy life does. And we're going to be talking about that more in the weeks to come. But these are evidence evidences of a heart that is holy. And what's the reward? The reward is God. The reward is fellowship and intimacy with God. Now, I've shared this before, but I remember a time when uh, I w- God was convicting me of a particular sin in my life, and I was refusing to deal with it. I was refusing to let it go. And, and one day, I was sitting at one of my uh, son's ball games, and things were not going well, and my gut, as usual, was to start to pray for him. Say, oh Lord, help him get a hit. You know, help him make a catch. And no sooner had I prayed than that sin came to my mind, the one that he had been convicting me of. And I could sense, could sense him say to my spirit, oh daughter, my face is hidden from you. You want the benefits of intimacy. You want to abide in my tent. You want to know my presence. But you indulge your sin. You indulge your flesh. And without holiness, no one can see the Lord. Jerry Bridges says holiness is required for fellowship. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our author put it this way. She says, unholy people cannot fellowship with God. I cannot cling to my gluttony, slothfulness, impatience, moodiness, and have fellowship with God the same time. Our next point is number six, because our intimacy with God depends on it. Our last motivation is similar Years ago, I remember a time when I was watching my son do something that was concerning me. I noticed that he would come into the room and plop himself down on the couch and turn on this one particular station and watch it. And um, I would think, at, at first I would think, you know, this is just such a waste of time. Why is he doing this? And then it would bother me because he wasn't offended by what he was watching. He found it humorous, and I thought he should be offended. I felt like he wasn't exercising discernment or any sensitivity. 
So he was watching, as to what he was watching. So I did what all good mothers do. I began to nag him. You know, I began to say things like, you know, well, what are you doing? Don't you have something better to do? And what are you watching this for? And that kind of thing. Now, I had not forbid him to watch the show. I, I could have. I probably should have. But I didn't want to forbid him. I wanted him to have a distaste for it and choose not to watch it. He was a believer at the time. So when my nagging didn't work, this thought came to my mind, take it to the Father. Take it to the Father. And I thought, yeah, that's right. He's a believer. God is infinitely more interested in his holiness than me. So I sort of had this mentality to go, you know, here, he's yours. You do something about this. And so I began to pray. I began to say, oh, dear Lord, you know, I'm watching something in my son that is concerning me. I, he's, he's putting things in, in front of him. He's not showing much discernment. He's not being offended at the things that should be offending him. I don't see him pursuing holiness. And then I said something like, um, you know, I, I'm watching him do things that are just not holy enough for me. And I no sooner had prayed that than um, I sensed, I, I, this thought came to my mind. I'm so glad to hear you pray that because I have a daughter that is doing the same thing. I have a daughter that is doing things that are just not holy enough for me. And my first response was like, okay, how did this get turned around on me? But then, boom, my sin I was convicted. And the beauty of God's conviction is that it is precise. He puts his finger. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. You see, there was a station, local station, that ran Friends reruns every night from 7 to 8. And every night, I turned it on. And I didn't have any discernment about watching it. I wasn't offended at the offensive content, and I wasn't concerned with holiness. Was it any wonder my son was doing it? He was just doing what his mother did. He had been watching his mother do that night after night after night. That was a wake-up call for me, and I quit watching the show from 7 to 8. And my prayer changed from make him holy to help me not trip him up. Ladies, you want to help your children? Be holy. You want to help your church? Be holy. You want to help your community? Be holy. Be holy. The author <clears throat> puts it this way. What others most need to see in you, what, repeat, what others most need is to see in you a reflection of what God is like. Our last motivation, why should we pursue holiness, is number seven, because the well-being of others depends on it. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is simple, that you would just help us. Help us in our motivation to be holy. Help us to understand and grasp this like never before. 
and help us to be women that will be godly and holy in all we do so that the world may have a better picture of what you are like. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. By way of announcement, next week, I need you to skip chapter 3 and read chapter 4. We will come back to 3, but next week, the number is 4. <laughs> okay? Chapter 4, next week. See you next week.